0: I uh, had the opportunity to be on sabbatical a while ago, so if you're new to North Shore uh, and haven't seen me, I've, I've not been up here for, for quite a while, so it's good to be back. Welcome to those of you uh, that I'm familiar with. Welcome to those of you who are a little bit more new. Uh, if you don't know about me, I am a lot of things, but I am a dad. Uh, my two favorite kids are mine, my biological ones, but I've also got about 40 or 50 here with our middle school and high school ministry, and most of them are pretty cool. Um, So we have good time over at night too during the 11 uh, a.m. service and Wednesday and all that, Uh, but privileged to be here. Uh, If you need a Bible this morning, go ahead and raise your hand and and our team will get you a Bible. I will tell you there's a a part where I think you're really going to want one. Uh, There will be a section where there's a verse not on screen, so if you've got your phones or want a Bible Uh, They can get you one of those. But when I went to college, uh, I didn't really know much about what I was doing. Uh, So maybe some of you can relate. And I was a late developer in a lot of things, physically, maturity, all that. So I got to college, and I was definitely still awkward. And uh, one of the things that happened that was strange was it was actually other people who began to encourage in me to maybe consider ministry. And what they uh, saw and pointed out was a few different times when I taught the Bible. And I have never taken a public speaking class. I've never been trained in any of that. Uh, was if you've ever like met one of those people who is not funny but they think they are right there is just like the worst people that was me so i'm sorry for that and, and just a lot of things weren't, weren't set up for success um but i had a couple different opportunities to to share god's word and people said hey that was really cool and it wasn't because of any training I've had, and, and as I, I stepped into this thing, I didn't know even existed and had no interest before in any kind of public speaking at all. Um, one, of the, one of the reasons that that had been a part of my life is uh, by, by just a simple conviction of opening up God's Word and, and believing that He has something to say. And I don't take a lot of credit for that. That's actually something that, that God has placed on my heart for most of my life. Before I even knew theologically what it meant or why or what to do with that, but, but it has always felt more comfortable to me that God has a lot more of words to say than I do, and that uh, there's a lot more value in the words of God through Scripture than just the ideas of men. And that has kind of always driven my ministry and and shaped a lot of different decisions and, and how we've come to this place. And so I'm super honored and excited. Today's alpha question is, why and how should I read my Bible? Phenomenal question. Why and how should I read the Bible? So we will take both of those at different parts, but here's here's the answer that I want to work with this morning. This is just simple. We won't hide it for later. This is what I believe. Why you should read the Bible is because nobody talks like God. Nobody talks like God. What I mean by that this morning as we kind of follow this. is three things in particular. What God says, and also how he says it, has a unique place in our world. Uh, the pervasive voice of the world does not talk like God and I don't talk like God. So three things as we go through this, but but therefore, because of those reasons, I should read my Bible. I don't know if you've ever had this experience uh, usually like elementary school or maybe middle school for the first time when when, when you just come into uh you come up in the corner or sit with your friends and somebody tries to get you to eat something. Right, and they're like, hey, 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 try this. And two, two questions you must ask in that situation: why, and then also, what is it? <laughs> uh, we, we had an experience just the other day uh, with our executive pastor. Pat was getting everybody to eat this black licorice stuff. Uh, but so, the questions you must ask are why and what is it. And so, as we look at this, uh, and I say you, you should read your Bible. Both of those questions. Why? And I think there is no uh, clearer reason than uh, because nobody talks like God. But also, what is it? And the best verse, the best single verse that you can throw at this comes from 2 Timothy 3.16. And I've used this in sermons before, I think even here. But Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training for righteousness. All Scripture is of the breath of God. This is the breath, the voice, the words of God made accessible for you and I, preserved in a form that we can can tackle and interact with and wrestle with ourselves And even more importantly, at times, with each other and with others. Which is why I would say that what God says, and and, uh, also how he says it, occupies a unique space in our world. But we don't just have that one verse in Timothy, which is phenomenal. We actually have a, a bunch more, a lot more. For example, the longest chapter in your Bible, right, anybody know what that is? Psalm 119, right in the middle. It's the longest chapter in your Bible. Uh, what's the theme of Psalm 119? It, it, it has to do with the Word, the Word of God. And the, the theme throughout Psalm 119 is that the Word of God brings life. And so I don't want you to take my word for it. Uh, I want us to read it together. So, all 176 verses, here we go. I am kidding. Um, but I, I do want your help, uh, but, so I'm going to go this way because you guys are really far away this morning. Uh, Psalm 119 is actually—I'm not going to go this way yet. Hold on. It's a uh, acrostic poem. That's why it's so long. So we have a book for my little daughter Emory uh, that's an A through Z of the different names of God. Right? God is amazing. God is beautiful. God the Christ, and it helps with memory. And it's also really interesting. Psalm 119 is one of those in Hebrew. Every eight verses, all of them begin with the same letter in the Hebrew alphabet. We actually have a picture of one of these. So this is the beginning, and you see circled. In Hebrew, they're all the same letter. In English, that doesn't always work. But every sentence starts with the letter A eight times. Then it goes to the Hebrew equivalent of the letter B, eight times. And so it's actually a poem. It's a kid's kid's book. (laughs) It's a memory poem in our Bibles. So I'm going to come over here because I've got to sit next to Heidi. Um, I want you to pick a letter, and that's what we're going to read this morning. So pick a letter in English. You don't have to do H. Uh, There's no H in Hebrew. I'm just kidding. You did great. H is what we're going to do. So how do you pick H? The equivalent in Hebrew of H is He, which will be verses 33 through 40. Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40, all of these in Hebrew would begin with the letter H. But here we go this morning. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise, that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. And on and on and on it goes. We could pick any section in Psalm 119 and hear the great emphasis on learning to love God's word. as a way of life hear the the comfort it brings, the life change, the magnificence that it is, right? And he's not referring to something else, but the written word of God being these things. You cannot place this level of elevation on another message or another voice in our world. And so when I say nobody talks like God— it would, be, it would be kind of weird and foolish to place this level of confidence in an ordinary uh, human book, right? A normal book doesn't change a life like this. And you can be really excited about seven habits of a highly effective person, but if that's all you're talking about, and at Thanksgiving you're trying to convert your family to seven habits of a highly effective human, and you go to work and you won't shut up about seven habits you're a little weird, right? But if you're committed to the Word of God, now granted, to a non-Christian, you might still be a little weird, but what you're doing is commendable in following the rules, the way, the precepts, the structure, the guidance of the Creator of the universe. And we commend each other for that. A regular piece of advice can't sustain you no matter what no matter when, no matter where. But we still, use, how old is this book? We're still here, gathered together to listen to what it has to say. And so it's fascinating to me that God himself, in structuring the Bible that we have, in the very middle, in the longest chapter, it's practically yelling, you can grow to love the written word of God as a way of life and that's exactly where you want to be here's a second reason you should read your Bible the pervasive voice of the world does not talk like God so take as an example here something that in like third grade or so we all kind of learn for the first time, and then most of a, most of us give up on it. But but at one point right, they do the week on planets and solar systems and all that stuff, and and we learn about something called gravity and gravitational pull and this this idea uh, that things with mass have a force that. They implement on other things with mass now it doesn't really matter much until you get to things that are so big like our planet but everything has that and so these these giant balls that we are on spinning around the sun have a force that you can't get away from and it constantly pulls on you right and so we've we've invented these things called sports which are basically just a war against gravity Uh, who can run farther, jump higher, do stronger things, all against this, right, 9.8 meters per second. That is a constant work on your life. Similar type of thing with our souls, with who we are. There is a pull on you. There is a pull on your heart, and there's actually a couple of them in different directions. Uh, there are two forces at work pulling for your soul at all times. So if you do regular life, just trying to get through the day, imagine the things that you might hear. The radio, your coworkers, a boss, a Facebook feed, an Instagram feed, a Twitter feed, a TikTok feed, more coworkers, workers uh, the news, a sports commentator, Your friends over message Your friends over chat Your friends in person Uh, Netflix Song lyrics Somebody from your family On and on it goes And how much of that In a given day Just minding your own business How much of that Gives you an accurate portrayal Of who God is And what he's done And what he's doing and how to live like Jesus. I think the clearest example of the world's voice versus God's voice comes from the very first sin in our whole Bible. So I'm going to turn now to Genesis 3 for a look at what is one of the most pivotal stories in Scripture. It influences nearly everything about what it means to be a Christian. Um, But we will grab just four verses three verses maybe, of Genesis chapter 3. And this chapter itself is known as the fall, and you'll see why. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And throughout this story uh, and the rest of Scripture, we understand that to be Satan with what he says here and how he's understood throughout Scripture. And so he said to the woman, But to break down what's happening here, Adam and Eve in the garden, and they encounter somebody with a message. And Eve is presented with a message that sounds vaguely God-like, but is accusatory and it's subtly shifted. So when the servant says, when the Satan says in verse 1, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That wasn't true. God said they could not eat from one tree in the garden. So he took a little piece of a truth and expanded it and shifted it and made it a little accusatory. It essentially, it, it, an equivalent might be you actually believe blank, something you might have legitimately been asked in this life. Now, you could say Genesis 3 in particular, this encounter, it's, it's not really about reading your Bible. Which didn't exist at this point in history, and you would be you'd be right. But the foundation of why Adam and Eve sinned is very much a reality of why I need to read my Bible. They encountered a message that was not what God actually said. They didn't trust their knowledge of what God actually said, and they didn't bother to check. Eve's response in verse 3 well it starts in 2 she says we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die that also is not what God said in Genesis chapter 2 God did not say you can't touch the tree or you'll die where did he pull that from? I have no idea. Again, this, there is no reading of the Bible in here, but listen to what's going on. They've encountered a message, and in the heat of the moment, it's it's confusing, it's accusatory, and uh, something is being said that sounds a little bit like God, but might be different, and, and they respond with something that also sounded a little bit like God, but turns out to be quite different, and in no point in this conversation was there an actual consulting with God on the matter. What did he say again? Maybe we could go ask him. And so they said, this seems fine. And their lives were forever ruined. As they ate the fruit that God said not to, as they listened to the message that the devil presented them with. Scripture is a tether the Bible is Jesus did not plan for us to be taken out of the world away from any bad things away from any of those similar but shifted devil type messages in fact that we would actually remain in the world and that God would keep us from the evil one John 17 Jesus Uh, sets this up perfectly. I believe it's verse 15 of John 17. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. just like an anchor in a boat in a bay or a tether from those that do dangerous activities search and rescue right maybe you're higher up window washers scripture is that tether where we wander in life is dangerous territory you can be in proximity with A whole range of neutral to extremely negative and dangerous messages. And actually, that is sort of the point. That Jesus didn't say, go hide under a rock. He said, stay here. Be part of the world. Go back into it. But you need an anchor. God's word is that anchor. Because just like Adam and Eve... That false message is more seductive than God's message. It's not true. It's not better. I'm not even saying it's stronger and more powerful, but it is more seductive. Because of that, we need a tether. We need to be anchored in the Word of God. The final reason why I should read my Bible is that even myself... My own sinful heart does not talk like God, so while it's true that there's a message out there there's a there's a cultural pull there's the influence of sin that others uh inflict upon me, that is just pervasive in the world, there is also the same type of message, even within my own heart. I hear a lot of the same things from my own. Prideful self. Jeremiah seventeen nine says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The selfish talk, or the not the selfish, the self talk that's so popular in our day, it's mostly useless. Because I am not some great force for good. Waiting to be unleashed on the world, I'm a doofus, and I need reminding to not be a doofus and what that looks like. There's a fundamental flaw not just with everyone else in the world. there's a fundamental flaw with me too, and I need help. And the other one I love this from first Thessalonians uh chapter two. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, it's not normal, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Pay attention to that word. The word of God that, Paul has shared that people are hearing and receiving is at work in believers. It's not just something for someone who's not a Christian to encounter and become a Christian and then it's useless. The Word of God is at work still to this day in every believer. If you are a Christian, you should be getting worked on by the Word of God. If the building is perfect, it needs no work. However, even in our world, over time and eventually, no building is perfect. And at some point, it needs repair, maintenance, upgrade. Things are not to the ideal standard that it once had, and it has to be reconformed to what it's meant to be. And so this is always for us. So, three reasons why we should read our Bible. There's a second half to that question, right? It's why and how should I read my Bible? Uh, there's another really powerful one line verse in Scripture that I've always been drawn to. It's even been the name of a few churches, of some different ministries. Uh, it comes from Acts chapter 17. And so this is in the Apostle Paul's journey, and uh, in verse 10 it tells us where they go. Paul and Silas go to Berea, and when they arrived there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Uh, Here is how you should read your Bible. You should read it. Like, I've heard a lot of sermons with tips and tricks, and you should just read it. You should read the Bible. You're here listening to it. That's phenomenal. And I'm so excited about that. And it's one of the great things that I get to be part of, whether it's here or with students or anyone who will listen. (laughs) These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. That's the whole thing about Jews who just heard some stuff and got mad. But what's more noble? They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they heard somebody talk, and then they went to their Bible and they said, "Well, what does this say? Is that guy is that guy on it, or is he crazy?" And the Bible was the standard, not the speaker. Not the popular message. The Bible was the standard. They simply read it. Now, there's maybe more useful and interesting places in the Bible to start than others. And there's a lot of context that's helpful with a book this old and about people that are not 21st century Americans. But honestly, read it. It's for us. Uh, here's one reason why I, I debated whether to use this talked to uh some people on our teaching team who are smarter than me they said we should give it a shot uh so i think i think we've got a picture there's a, here's one of the most popular kind of christian truisms sort of things that i've encountered at different points right, two versions of it here but god will not give you more than you can handle is basically the baseline uh, then somebody added something over there. If you face a big challenge, you have a big destiny, right? But this is—you thing. You can put it on the internet. Looks great. Goes on your Instagram feed. Goes on a, a, you know, a bookmark, on a story, whatever. It's also not in the Bible. God will not give you more than you can handle. Hit send. Forty thousand clicks, whatever. It's not true. <laughs> it very, very loosely comes think from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 and I believe we've included that one as well but I'm going to turn there just in case but 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 yeah awesome thanks it says this no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability so that's kind of the the line I can draw from one to the other, uh, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, a couple of things with that, and, and I don't know—you can leave it here or on the picture. I'm not really sure. But so, so here's this. Here's this phrase, right? It sounds great. Maybe somebody published it. Ooh, it's got colors. It's got to be true, except it's not. And if you read your Bible and you encounter, well, here's here's something that sounds like that. And, and this is what God actually says, except this is about temptation. And it sounds like this is actually setting up so that, that God won't put me in a situation where I am required to sin. God won't tempt me in a way that I will, I must fail. But I think through the narrative of the Bible itself, man, the whole point of a savior is that there's a lot that I can't handle. The reason I need Jesus is because I can't handle. And so this It's not only not in your Bible, it sets you up for false expectations. And there could be a point where down the road, if things have gone badly and you couldn't handle and you prayed and God didn't take it away, and man, I must not be strong enough for all of these things that God has given me. And there comes a point where you walk away from God. You've walked away from the wrong God. You've not walked away from Jesus it is so important to read your bible there's a conversation that jesus has with uh his followers are present but he's talking to the religious leaders of the day uh, in john chapter 5 um he's having another one of those conversations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and unfortunately the people who should have got it but they didn't these are people who should have have rejoiced at Jesus but they didn't they were mad at him and one of the reasons as Jesus points out here is actually a misunderstanding of scripture and so in John chapter 5 having a conversation, and we can grab it in verse 37. He says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that In them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So a couple things with this, but Jesus is is saying that the redemptive story of of God's word, the, the, the narrative of the Bible, the whole point is about Jesus. We, Jesus is the lens through which we view Scripture. And it's not the other way around, and it's not it's not culture then Bible then Jesus. It's man. What does this book say about who Jesus is? Now I now I go forward and interpret the world around me. But I love this to draw a full circle to where we started this morning. Right, Jesus Himself says in verse thirty seven, "His voice you've never heard." and ultimately it's because they've they've missed this about Jesus the the voice component in this conversation brings us back to how God talks and nobody talks like God it's an invitation to follow God's voice to come to Jesus that you may have life it's not that reading psalm 119 is some some magic that that makes life better. No, it's because He's drawing us in to the words of God. Even the laws and the rules and and just everything about who God is and what He has to say ultimately reveals the story of a Savior and His place in our lives and our place in His story. It's an invitation to follow God's are um, so blessed to be able to do this, to to uh, worship together, that we can hear your words, that we can take a moment out of our week to, to be in one place with you speaking to all of us. And I pray, God, that you would uh, open our hearts to be receptive to what you say even as we go from here, continue talking to us. And ultimately, God, we ask that you would give us the reminders that we need, the encouragement that we need, the the strength and diligence that we need to spend some time each day hearing your voice. That we would not be intimidated, but that we would rightly understand, as the psalm writer does, that your words have life, your words are life us in God that we would encounter Jesus Christ that we would be changed by him that you would do work on us thank you that nobody else talks like you I pray that we would